This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Now in our second decade of bringing you the best independent New York Red Bulls news and opinion with your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Joe Goldstein. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. A good week for the New York Red Bulls as the team puts together a 3-0 beatdown of Orlando City that was a domination in every statistical category. New York is perfect on the road, equaling a 24-year league record. Tonight on the show, we'll go inside the win at Orlando. We'll give our bowl of the week. We'll preview New York's visit to Soldier Field on Saturday night and the Chicago Fire. We'll go around MLS. We'll give our predictions. Our guest, Ruben Tisch of Hot Time in Old Town, the Chicago Fire site, and some nice emails in the email bag. I'm Mark Fishkin. I'm here once again with Joe Goldstein. Joe, welcome back. I'm back. Work decided to go easy on me you know, this evening. The letter writing campaign we did to your boss seems to have worked out. So it I'm worked. Really Thanks, glad. everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do that on the regular, that would be great. It would be great. New York went down to Orlando in a game that was a toss-up. I certainly called it wrong. Orlando had been scoring goals in bunches. We know New York's challenges about converting. And you can rip that up once the opening whistle sounded because New York just completely took the Lions out of their game. New York finishing on the shot counter with 17-3 to and not allowing the hosts with their high-powered attacking talent a single shot on target. Goals by Lukinas, goals by Christian Castros on a nice follow-up. And uh, the late pen by Lewis Morgan. Th- this, as I said, was as complete a performance, sharp like a knife, as we've seen from this team all year. Yeah, and we've seen Orlando. I mean, they're a little bit Jekyll and Hyde still because they're still kind of coming together as a team. But we've seen them be able to play uh, very quickly in small spaces and and sort of run off each other. And that that sort of stuff should negate the way that the Red Bulls press. But it was just overwhelming. Uh, and it was great to see. It was it was the kind of uh, match that I think was desperately needed after having uh, some very disappointing home results. Although I think we still have to throw our hands in the air to try to figure out why that's happening. Um, but uh, a terrific all around game. I think Drew Yearwood, um, or, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Frankie Amaya and um, uh, uh, Christian Caceres, uh were terrific. I think that. Um, I really liked what Ash- Ashley Fletcher brought to the table. I thought he did a really nice job of, of some hold of play. Probably a little bit unlucky not to walk away with the goal in this one. Um, but uh, really good and good to see him combining with uh, his teammates. Now, if only they would start Patrick and Ashley together and see them pass off each other, run off each other. But uh, these were these were good signs. Great to get Lucinius on the board. There's so many, I think, positives all around. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the way they played. Yeah, and both Struber and Aaron Long spoke about the the dichotomy between the the home and the road performances, or at least home and road results, in saying that when opponents come into Red Bull Arena, they're they're setting up in a low block and they're daring New York to beat them with the idea that they'd, they'd be comfortable leaving with a point. When teams are playing at home, they open up and play, and they play right into the Red Bull's hands. And so the ability of New York to completely... Um, take over press and counter press, maybe press a little further back 
to create a you know, wing play opportunity and balls down the wing, uh, which we saw a number of times. Lewis Morgan had a tremendous match uh, last Sunday. Um, that that really is the difference. Now, it, it'll be interesting because they're going to be taking on a Chicago team that seemingly only knows how to defend, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, in our Seeing Red Live program on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday at noon on Twitter, there were a lot of questions about, you know, Caceres is clearly evolved his game to the point where he is much more comfortable moving forward. So how do you get him closer to the opponent's goal by choosing to rest Yearwood in the first half? Again, at the end of three matches in eight days um, to give Yearwood a little bit of a rest, right? Unless you're going to a four triple two, how do you, you know, who do you take off to put a, a attacking threat Caceres on the field, Omer Fernandez had a terrific game. He was involved in the goals. He was involved. You're not going to take Lewis Morgan off necessarily, and you can't take Lukinius off right now because he is, as as one of our, our uh, fans wrote, he seems to be Kaku without the drama. And so <laughs> in the sense that he, he just seems to be very happy here and is happy to play and is contributing and got his first goal on a very deft hit with the outside of his right foot. Um, that um, alluded El Pupo to the left post. And so, I mean, it's very rare, Joe, that we have a match where we literally cannot make a complaint. But when you so thoroughly dominate an opponent in their house, I I mean, you just stand and applaud. Yeah, well, you know, I do have some complaints. (laughs) (laughs) Surely. Uh, Number one, uh, Ashley Fletcher's yellow card, uh, I'm not sure what he does to deserve that. Maybe it's just a makeup call for his incredibly dangerous stomp on Ruan. Uh, you know, seeing that happen, uh, I felt like, oh boy, here we go. He's going to get sent off and now things are going to go down the, the tubes. Uh, but luckily, uh, they hung around okay. Um, there was a couple of moments of officiating where, like, I really didn't understand. Uh, the uh, dichotomy of two very similar calls. Uh, But these are all very minor squabbles. I think for the most part, what's good to see is the team um, set out, played exactly how they wanted to. Orlando had zero answers for them and everyone was smiling and happy and looked like they were having a good time. No one looked uh, uh, frustrated or angry at each other uh, for any length of time. And uh, yeah, I mean, you love to see it. 4-0 on the road. It's ridiculous, but here we are. Here we are. Let me ask you this. Um, Morgan taking the penalty. Do you think there uh, was any sort of uh, issue there? I don't think so. I think we've heard for this from you know Bradley and Sasha in the past. And, uh, you know, you taking the penalty, you miss it. You kind of open yourself up to say, okay, next guy up. Um you don't want to have any kind of cloud hanging over you. I'm fine with them letting Morgan take it. I would have liked uh, Patrick to have uh, scored the goal that he was in, uh, you know, slightly offside, yes. puts the ball in the net. It's a little, little bit of a shame, but, you know, hopefully there's the um, the mechanics of scoring the goal that uh, can stay with him because he desperately needs to get on the score sheet. What um, do you think about the notion of not allowing – Klimola to take another penalty until he scores in the in the yeah. round of play. Yeah, I like that idea because, I mean, the idea behind getting a striker to take penalties is to get them in rhythm and to get them 
uh, some confidence if they're struggling. I think he's at a point where uh, he has yet to ever not struggle to score from open play for the Red Bulls. There was a little bit when he first came over where he was dangerous from uh, from the run of play, but uh, most of his goals, well, maybe not most, but a, a large part of his goals have come from the spot. So, yeah, keep him away from there. He missed his last one. Let Morgan take it. And and get Patrick starting up top with Ashley Flash. That's that's all I could say. <laughs> if the Stuber, game state calls for it, if the opponent calls for it, you may see it. But that's not what Struber has done for me. Uh, and uh, we talked about this on Tuesday. If if Clemola is given the opportunity to take the penalty, and he misses, you've then created you know in a game that New York had won. They're up two goals. It's the 89th minute. And then the story is, yeah, they won, but Kamala misses the penalty, and that kind of is a, a mini dark cloud over the game. And by kind of just removing that as an opportunity, you kind of keep the, the, the happy, the happy fun time vibes going. Now, I mean, Morgan could have missed for sure. Yep. He didn't. And New York walks away with three points and is very happy. Um, and, and again, the stats, unbelievable. XG 2.34 to 0.12. I mean, this is, a, this is a team in Orlando that we talked about last week has a, I talked about has a ton of, offensive weapons and new york completely disarmed them i i mean t- utterly and uh, it's wonderful to see all right uh, a bull of the week for you sir on a night where on an afternoon where new york posts its second straight clean sheet and drops three goals on the road oh, there's a bunch of guys i think probably deserve this i'm gonna give it to lakinias because he got his first goal yeah, I, I like that as well. Again, seems to be meshing incredibly well with his team. Um, gave, gave a tremendous speech uh, in the locker room afterwards where he said in English, guys, thank you. <laughs> well done. This Saturday at 8, Chicago visits, excuse me, New York visits the Chicago Fire at Soldier Field. The Fire 2-2-4 two, two, and four for 10 points. They're tied for 7th in the East, but 10th place uh, after tiebreakers. Four points and eight places behind New York. Four points and eight places. The East, as much as you know, the Red Bulls are, are in second place right now. They're trailing only the Union. It's a really, it's a total, it's an early dog pile, right? The, the cream hasn't completely risen to the top. There are, I, I believe, more than half the Eastern teams have three wins already this season. Um, so it's going to be crowded. Anyway, Chicago has scored five and conceded five in eight matches. It's hard to do, folks. Um, new this year for the Fire, Casper Shabilko coming over from Philadelphia to replace the outgoing Robert Barich. Um, Rafa Chizos arrived from uh, Kohn in the in the Bundesliga. Spencer Rishi, a goalkeeper, arrived from Seattle. And the big signing, a, a player that has won, I mean, just about every meaningful trophy in European soccer, he's won the German Cup. He's won the UEFA Super Cup. He's won, he's a three-time Swiss champion with Basel and a two-time Swiss Cup winner. He's won the Bundesliga three times with Bayern Munich and, and the DFB Pokal twice. He's won the Premier League with Liverpool and the Champions League twice. And he's a two-time Club World Cup winner. He's Jordan Shkiri, uh, who is now uh, plying his trade on the shores of Lake Michigan. Um, not yet 
made an incredible impact. But, you know, again, um, one of the biggest signings in the MLS offseason for sure. Um, Chicago is the worst attack in all of MLS with just five goals scored in eight games. Uh, but they're tied with Philly and Dallas for the best defense in the league. Uh, on home uh, field, they're eighth in the East with a win and three draws for six of their ten points. Um, but here's the thing. They haven't scored a goal in more than four league matches. Uh, let's run it back to March 22nd, their last win in the league. Uh, I'm excuse, excuse me, March 19th, they beat... Uh, a poor uh, Sporting KC uh, squad, 3-1 goals by Shabilko, a Shakiri penalty, a Shabilko again late, a scoreless draw against Dallas at home, a 1-0 loss at Orlando, a scoreless draw about the, uh, against the Galaxy, and then this past weekend, the wheels completely fell off as the fire dropped a 3-0 decision uh, in St. Paul against the Loons. Um, Navarro got a red card in this game after two uh, yellows. So New York, uh, Chicago went down to, to with ten men, um, and while Chicago was shorthanded, uh, Minnesota dropped two more goals on them for for the three nothing um, final. They did lose their only U.S. Open Cup match of the year after playing Union Omaha of USL League One to a two two draw. They lost four five on pens. Um, looking at history, these teams have played 69 times. Nice. Nice. Chicago, thank you. Chicago leads uh, 34, 22, and 13 all time, but the Red Bulls and Metro are only 6, 20, and 10 away to the fire since uh, Chicago entered the league in 98. Chicago, uh, New York has lost its last two matches to the fire, both by 2-1 scores last August 8th at Soldier Field and in uh, a uh, 1-0 uh, score at Red Bull Arena three weeks later. Red Bulls are winless in their last three visits to Chicago with two losses and a draw. Their last win came on April, uh, sorry, August 11th of, of 2018, a 1-0 victory with Bradley Wright Phillips as the lone goal scorer. To the surprise of no one, he's the all-time leading club scorer against Chicago with 11 goals. And CCJ... Tom Barlow and Caden Clark each have a goal to lead the active scoring list. Here is most likely Coach Ezra Hendrickson's 4-2-3-1 that they'll roll out. Uh, Gaga Slonina, the teenage goalkeeping sensation with both American and Polish international opportunities. Uh, five conceded in eight games, five clean sheets for the youngster. Miguel Navarro, a Venezuelan left back. Uh, Rafa Chizos, uh, the German center back. And then Boris Sikulic, uh, Slovakia, on on the right side. Um, central defensive mids, Gaston Jimenez, who's a known quality in this league. Mauricio Pineda, uh, also, who will play for Navarro. Uh, Brian Gutierrez, the left uh, midfielder, with one assist in seven games. There's Shakiri with a goal as the number 10. Sanislav Ivanov, the Bulgarian, with a goal. And Kastor Shabilko with two goals. And that's all the goals that Chicago has scored. So... They'll be playing on the road, the Red Bulls, with a chance to make MLS history as the only team to win their first five league road games. Um, they're going to come in with a tremendous um, good feeling and confidence. And yet, Chicago really doesn't concede goals. They're going to pack the back. As we're going to hear from from Ruben Tisch in our interview, uh the the offense is completely discombobulated. Their midfield is a bit of a shambles. They don't know how to go forward. And it would seem, 
that New York might be very ripe to pick up yet another another victory here, except for the fact that Chicago knows how to play one way, and that's defense first and sometimes defense only, Joe. Yeah, and <clears throat> I know I advocate for this constantly. Uh, and generally when you play a team that is going to sit back and look to counter, you want to have maybe greater numbers in the midfield to negate their ability to break out. Uh, uh, but here, I think with the way that Chicago plays, that there there is room for the attack uh, to do one of the things that I think most of us here hate to watch the Red Bulls do, but to cross endlessly into the box. And if you've got two guys in there, <laughs> namely <laughs> Ashley Fletcher and Patrick Livilla, I think you can create some good opportunities. The other thing they're going to have to do is look for chances outside the box and to get the ball pinging around and uh, kind of forcing Chicago to make mistakes. They want to sit back. They want to play as uh, a pragmatic as possible. Uh, and that means that you can't be static against them. You can't wait for uh, your opportunities. You have to be moving around, pull guys out of the center, uh, uh, look for spaces at the top of the box. Uh, look for those late runners in to to maybe make a difference. That's where a guy like CCJ would come in uh, handy, or uh, uh, the way that uh, Omer Fernandez has played recently. That would be good. And of course, having guys like Lucinius and Lewis Morgan who are, po- are able to take shots from outside the box uh, with a, a fair amount of accuracy would come in handy. So I think that. We're not going to see a lot going the other way. I think this is going to be very similar to what we saw against Orlando, where they're able to sort of dominate and dictate the game. Uh, But I think they're going to be a lot harder to break down. And so uh, as well as including the two forwards and and trying to uh, overload the box or or find opportunities in the air, I also think the Red Bulls wouldn't be uh, maybe I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. They, It wouldn't be a bad idea for the Red Bulls to sit back a tiny little bit and invite Chicago forward because giving themselves space behind them or uh, underneath uh, is going to be critical to getting points against this team. Here's a fun and scary stat for you, of which I was completely ridiculed as a jinx stat. The Fire haven't scored in 368 minutes. The Red Bulls haven't conceded in 189 minutes. Something has to give. Or maybe they don't. I mean, no, or nothing has to give. But just the idea that that Chicago is looking for a goal for the first time in five games and New York's got two straight clean sheets could, should, might set, send shockwaves of terror up your spine because you know that the return to the averages has to come. But... Um, New York's back line is playing with a ton of confidence. Um, they're certainly not going to be intimidated by anybody on the road, for sure. And um, so why don't we just stick a pin in that right now? Let me ask you this. You would mentioned uh, CCJ. Is there anyone else that's a, that's a key player for you? Um, uh, uh, I think that we're talking to Ashley Fletcher here. I think that he's going to have to be somebody who shows up in a big way in and around the box. Uh, against this team, even if he's just going to be a guy who's uh, pulling the ball down and distributing it, uh, that's going to be a huge part of of what will uh, help break down the fire. All right. Let's go around MLS and then we'll give our prediction. Now, you 
as not being a part of the show last week. I don't know if you did predictions in your head. Yeah, I, I, I did them all in my head, and I got them 100% right. Oh, my God. You wouldn't believe it. I, uh, you, you know, you, you're right. <laughs> all right, here we go. Yeah. Um, it's a big weekend. 13 games. Seattle obviously off uh, as they're getting ready to hopefully next Wednesday win the Champions League uh, final for the first time. No, not going to happen. No, not going to happen. Not even with a beast mode inspired 65,000 at Lumen Field. That's just going to make it hurt all the more. Oh, Mark. my God. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Houston, who had El Capitan nearly in their hands and collapsed late at Dallas uh, against the other Texas uh, team, uh, Austin FC, that's unbeaten in five with three straight wins. And I think they're going to get their fourth straight win against Houston. All right. Fragile, fragile. Uh, Toronto, who lost a 5-4 shootout in Queens last time out, hosting Cincinnati, whose early season blip seems to have come off. Uh, the wheels have come off a bit. They're winless in four. Yeah, it's in Toronto, uh, yeah. so I'm going to pick them. All right. Uh, RSL hasn't won in five games, hosting the Galaxy, who haven't lost in four. On the road, I'll call it a draw. Club de Foot Montreal hasn't lost in six weeks, and they're hosting Atlanta, who's only scored one time in their last three outings. And I don't expect them to do very well here. I think Montreal should be able to handle this easily. They're, 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 they're working on something special up there. It's the poutine. All right. Uh, Columbus, winless in five. They're in, in a very bad way. Hosting DCU, where Taxi Fountas dropped two goals and an assist on the Revs in his league debut last week. Yikes. All right, I'm going to just editorialize for a second. Good for Fountas. He did a great job. But nobody should get too excited about doing anything against the against awful, them. awful reps. Um, uh, I think Columbus is probably going to pick up a win here. I don't. I think they'll break their, their winless skid and uh, uh, put a hurting on uh, D.C. All right. Uh, New England with a win in six matches hosting Miami that has won three straight games <laughs> now that they know what they're doing on offense it, it's in new england so probably uh air on the side of caution would be saying a draw but i think maybe miami pulls this one out all right orlando i have no stat here i have no idea what you're going to see they're hosting uh charlotte who hasn't won in two games i think that this is going to be uh closely fought uh and will end in a draw Kansas City hasn't won since March 26th, over a month. They're hosting a, a, a Dallas team that continues to impress, unbeaten in six. They're they're at home. They need to win this game. I'm going to pick Kansas City. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying yeah. I don't think they will. All right. Colorado hasn't won in five. Portland with a single win in six. This is New York's next opponent, uh, the Timbers. What do you think? This is ugly. Uh, yeah, this is ugly. I'm going to pick Colorado now. All right. Sunday, Sunday, New York City is off the mat in a big way. They've scored 11 times in their last two games, and they're hosting an Earthquakes side that has to come all the way across the country, and they did get their first win last time out. But I, looking at your face, I'm not, you know, the Quakes yeah, are going to this year. you got to pick City, but it's probably going to be another shootout. Yeah. Nashville finally opens Jodis Park, which looks incredible. They're three, three, and two on an eight-game road trip to to start the season, and they're hosting Philadelphia, 
uh, we, and this is the five ball match of the weekend for sure. Um, you have to think that Nashville getting the job done on the road, they're going to be extremely jacked up. They'll have a, a, a sold out crowd and Philly might be starting to tread water a little bit. Yeah. I don't think I've ever picked against a team that was opening a stadium, even though I've been wrong a number of times, <laughs> but, you haven't changed. <laughs> but I won't change. I think, I think Nashville gets this. All one. right. LAFC is in the shield slot. They're six, one and one. They are literally laughing at the rest of the league. Um, and uh, under Steve Chirundolo and the Loons have won four of their last six. This I think this is also a five-ball game. What do you think? This will be a good one, but I think just because it's in L.A. that they probably get it, and I'll pick them to win. And finally, our match, 8 o'clock Eastern on MSG Networks, the Chicago Fire hosting your New York Red Bulls. I got a feeling this is going to be a one nothing kind of a game. But I don't know who the hell it's going to be one nothing for. It's on the road, so I'll pick the Red Bulls. Uh, I'll, I'll say they win one nothing here. I think one nothing is definitely the score, and I hate to agree with you, but I'm. <laughs> I, I think that. I mean, we should just for 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 the spice of life's sake, uh, come up with different That's score fair. lines. I I guess I can call it a scoreless draw. It's what Chicago does incredibly well, but I really I'm hoping for a one nothing win. When we're back on seeing red, we're going to talk to Ruben Tish of Hot Time in Old Town, and we'll be right back after this message from Manscaped. Support for Seeing Red is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SEEINGRED at manscaped.com. Now, full transparency, both Joe and I have received the performance package by Manscaped. And Joe, what did you think? All right. First off, I don't know how many of you have uh, had uh, uh, the lovely experience of, of trimming your uh, nether regions uh, but generally they're hard to, to see and to get around and uh, the lawnmower has a tiny little light at the top uh, which is a delight an absolute delight and we live in a very humid humid part of the country it, it's a good idea to to maybe you know trim the jungle every now and again uh, but uh, really easy to use uh, I, I prefer to use it in the shower so this is you know uh, a water resistant or you know um all, all good things, and I, I'm very happy with the results so far. I've had other trimmers in the past that were not great, <laughs> and some uh, uh, mishaps and accidents. But uh, oh, I'm, no. I'm pleased to say that I think uh, so far this is a, a really nice deal. Now let me let me outline the performance package. Uh, it, it's it's a game changer. Inside the package, you get the the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. You get the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. And I will admit to using this uh, because men of a certain age, the, the hair grows. It grows in strange places that it didn't before. And this was this was really fun. Um, you get the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. The Crop Reviver Toner, because you got to be toned. I mean, come on. <laughs> you also get a, a, a pair of Performance Boxer Briefs and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. I mean, this is, it's a big offer, sir. It's a really big offer. And uh, I will also speak to uh, the boxers as being very, very comfortable. Uh, big fan of those. Anti-chafe or something. Uh, they like, you know, I at one time was walking a lot 
uh, I walk a whole lot less now. Uh, and so my thighs <laughs> are rubbing together again. Yeah, that's uh, tough. Those boxers, though, uh, they did a good job of keeping that from being a big problem. That's awesome. Um, so remember, folks, um, you get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEEINGRED. That's one word. So go to manscaped.com, enter code SEEINGRED. You get 20% off um, the uh, the performance package 4.0 you, um, and free shipping. It's phenomenal. So again, manscaped.com, seeing red, unlife, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Back on seeing red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Red Bulls with a nice head of steam after a 3-0 beatdown of Orlando. They head to uh, a city that hasn't really been kind to them over the years. That's Chicago. And we're talking about the Chicago Fire. We need to bring in the fire editor at Hot Time in Old Town. That's Ruben Tish. Hi, Ruben. Welcome back to Seeing Red. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent. Um, this is a very strange team this year. Uh, looking at the stats, looking at their skill, looking at their lack of skill. Can you Can you just kind of frame a team that's only conceded five times and only scored five times in something like eight or nine games? What, what's the story here? Uh, the story is a brand new coaching staff, a goalkeeping prospect that looks to be pretty good. I mean, you, you know, you hear all the national writers say, slow your roll about comparing Gaga Slanina to Buffon or Manuel Neuer, but um, watching him week in, week out, every, all, every, every time, He's got the shot-stopping ability to do just that and be that good. Uh, so they've got that. They've got a German defender who, in the great tradition of German defenders wearing the Chicago Fire shirt, uh, following in the footsteps of Bastian Schweinsteiger and uh, Arne Friedrich, Raphael Schigos has come in and immediately improved the back line. Uh, everybody's playing better who was here last year with him and uh they can't score any goals because they don't have we don't have any wingers to stretch the defense vertically so everything has to come in the middle which makes it very easy for to uh defenders to just you know play off because uh, they can't get stretched keep the game in front of them and and stop things that way but the back line, like you said, is much improved this year. Up yeah. until you know this past week, uh, you know, leaking five goals maybe not uh, great over the last two uh, matches against uh, across all competitions. But before that, everything had been uh, really settled down. Do you think that even though the, that there's the offensive struggles right now, uh, it was more important for Chicago to get to a place where they can consistently put up uh, clean sheets or just have better numbers in the back before they build on. Uh, to to create more offense for themselves? Uh, definitely. I, I, I think we all sort of knew that the first seven games of the season in league play was completely unsustainable. Um, they were going to have to give up goals sometime. That's just sort of the way the game works, especially in the United States in, in, in MLS. You're going to have games where you give up, you know, three and four goals. Uh, it was just a matter of time before that happened. Um but overall, the mentality is there defensively. The work rate's there defensively. 
And, you know, for the large, you know, portion of time, the understanding of what they have to do and their ability to read other teams is there. Uh, so all that stuff, you know, points to a team that where they're going to be in basically every game they play. It's, you know, just a matter of getting the other side to work as well as um, the defense, but there's larger personnel issues, you know, more than tactical problems. For sure. And the team obviously remains a work in progress. There's a story on MLSsoccer.com uh, about Ezra Henderson's desire to bring more players in during the summer transfer window. But but obviously the number one signing for this team in the offseason was Jordan Shakiri. Um, he's been battling a calf problem. Uh, do we expect to see him on the field on Saturday night? I expect he'll play. Um, I don't know how effective he'll be. Um, let me because you know pre calf injury, he he was playing really well, and now uh, if I can find his numbers, because I I did a story on this this week about. Uh, how bad his his numbers have been his numbers were against um, Minnesota. Um, so here here is Cherdan Shakiri's passing numbers. Uh, sixty eight point five percent pass completion percentage. Uh, his is his total over the season. So that's not been great. He's had trouble coming in. That's part of the offensive problems, but. Uh, on Saturday against Minnesota, 65.9% pass completion percentage on 41 passing attempts. He was just bad. And I don't expect him to be that bad against the Red Bulls if he plays. And and if he plays, when he plays, I expect him to start in the middle again. But the fire are real easy to stop. Just stop Shodan Shakiri, and they basically have nothing else. And I mean, part of that is too that they're playing so deep in every match. I mean, with the idea behind that it, it, they're being defensively responsible. Do you see them uh, continuing that against the Red Bulls, knowing that uh, traditionally the Red Bulls have had a tough time breaking down teams that do that to them? Uh, I would expect that. It's not just against the Red Bulls, but like you said, the Red Bulls are, are particularly vulnerable to that style of, of defensive play. Um, so, yeah, I expect a lot of that. I expect the fire's chances to come during set pieces uh, due to either corners from, like, deflected shots that are taken long or, you know... Um, fleet of foot skills where they, they make a defender miss a tackle. Um, yeah. Um, I'd expect them to play a lot like that. I, expe- I would expect them to try and sit back and counter. Um, the problem is the fire pretty awful on the counter. So they don't have, you know, like I said, they don't have any wingers. They don't have really have any vertical options. Um, they don't really have any speed down the flanks. It, it, it's a problem, and it, it's manifesting itself 
with a lack of goals and also a lot of frustration on the part of a, a guy like Casper Shabilka who thrives in sort of being that um, coming in inside, you know, sort of um, towards the midfielders and then pushing up as a late runner. Right. Um, well, without to, any service, to, it's tough. Um, yeah. Federico Navarro for the fire, two yellows last week against Minnesota. Who's his likely replacement in the lineup? Uh, Mauricio Pineda. So they're not really losing anything. Mauricio Pineda started the first several games of the season. There's not really much talent drop off. Um, that is one spot I'm not worried. They have two um, above average to good MLS level players at that spot. So I just expect Mauricio Pineda to just slide in there and not change a whole lot tactically. What's the overall, uh, uh, I guess, maybe fan vibe around the team? I mean, I, obviously, coming into the season, there was a, a good boost from picking up a guy like Shakiri, uh and getting pretty decent results out of the gate. But obviously, things are slowing down a little bit. You're seeing a lot of pragmatic soccer. and uh, They're struggling to score, like we've been talking about. Um, how are the fans sort of reacting to all of this? It's frustrating, um, for the fan base, but then again, you know, it's the story of the last decade of Chicago Fire Soccer, right? This is not a new feeling. Um, and, uh, but really patience is wearing thin on George Heights, who for his, you know, fifth or sixth straight transfer window hasn't put together a complete roster. Um, he's there, there's glaring holes that needed to be filled that didn't get filled. There's frustrations there. There's frustrations, you know, with the lack of goals. Um, people are putting pressure on Shabilko because the Fire haven't really had a competent goal scorer since Nemanja Nikolic in, in 2017. Um, we it, remember it, him. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's the guy who scored a bunch of goals and then in the playoff game didn't do anything because our Velko Panovic got the tactics wrong and allowed the New York Red Bulls to have the advantage in midfield. We remember that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, it's it's a lot of frustration, but also a lot of cautious optimism. Um the Shakiri signing and the Jairo Torres signing, who you guys miss by a week, by the way. He comes in May 1st. Um, shows a sign that Joe Mansueto means business. And he means to supplement his roster of young, talented academy kids with high-level experience. Um, and that's not something the fan base could say under the previous ownership, which we spent, which Mansueto spent the last, you know, two and a half years of his ownership, including through the pandemic, trying to fix. So he needed to try and fix what he could before he could spend big and, and sort of, you know, and on top of that, and I think we finally reached the spot where the organization is in a position to make big deals, and he's doing it. 
Um, so it's frustration, but also cautious optimism. Obviously, it's, I mean, I would imagine cautious when you haven't scored in 368 minutes. I mean, I would imagine the optimism is a, is a bit tempered. But as you said, I mean, the, the team is in the midst of a slow reboot, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they spent all that money to get out of Bridgeview. They're back at Soldier Field. They may be the only team at Soldier Field in a few years' time. And, you know, there's new executives there, a new president, new re- really a, a, a rebooting of the front office. I know they've they've invested in a significant amount of new staff there. It seems like the, the team is moving in the right direction, and this is kind of a growing pains mm-hmm. sort of a start. What has to happen, and, and not to get too elementary, but if Chicago is going to get the win on Saturday night, what do they need to do? They need to find a goal some way, somehow, and pitch a shutout. That's how they've been, you know, winning games. When the Fire give up a goal, they lose. When they keep a clean sheet, they draw or win sometimes. Um, that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Keep New York out of the net and put the ball in the net some way, somehow. It, it's not complicated, folks. Ruben Tish is the fire editor of Hot Time in Old Town, a must-read for fire fans. Ruben, it's great to talk to you once again. Best of luck on Saturday night, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. See you on Twitter. All right, we've got more Seeing Red coming up after this short break. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Sack Roundup. Orlando, home for Portland. And you have to think, if there's ever a match to win at home, it's it's May 7th against Portland. By then, maybe it'll be warm out in the evening, perhaps. Portland will have to come across the entire country. And, you know, again, a, a, a win like we saw against Orlando, I think should give people a tremendous amount of pride and optimism in what this team can do. If the if the road and home records were switched, no one would have any complaints about anything, right? Yeah. Unbeaten at home, unlucky on the road, get a couple of draws, yeah, fine. But once again, Red Bull Arena is the fortress, and we feel great about that, and no one is getting a single point. It's This is the strangest start of the season, yes? I have a uh, tinfoil hat theory. Let's hear it. This place was much more fortressy before they invited the blue team in. Interesting to note that neither the blue team nor Gotham nor the Red Bulls have won a game when <laughs> acting as the home team in the stadium this year. Ridiculous. Do we have to like what? So what's the appropriate right? Like it's not a Joe Boo shrine. Like what? What, what has yeah. to be sacrificed in order? What? I mean, obviously, the guy who's coming to coach in Red Bull Arena uh, is uh, a yeah, Sabarese, Metro hero. Um, sorry, uh, we have to get him fired uh, for this match. That's that's what's going to have to happen. They have to beat them, get him fired, and then uh, we will <laughs> we'll conclude. I, I, don't, I don't want Gio Savarese to get fired. <laughs> yeah, Maybe, though, we to... have to burn like a Savarese, jer- a Savarese Metro jersey. Oh, that's that's maybe harsh, maybe we should burn a Brian <laughs> Nielsen jersey or a Frederick Branson jersey. 
Maybe yeah, we need I like to, to do uh, like a. We should have a parade, at, like a voodoo parade or something. And sage. Everybody burn sage. Burn sage. You think burning sage is allowed at Red Bull Arena? I'm thinking probably not. probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but I put it in a clear bag. All right. Uh, you've got the first of our two emails this week. All right. Uh, this one is from Chris in Kingston. Uh, hi, Mark and Joe. Thanks for flying solo last week, Mark. Yes, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, and producing a show for us red-sided New Yorkers. Mm. First off, yippee for the crushing victory over Orlando once again. Second off, I have a question about RBNY's attack and for Struber. I suspect you'd rather ask him your own questions, so your thoughts here are more than welcome. How can Klimala continue to be such a poor marksman when the best striker in Metro history is on staff? Can you ask Struber if BWP is coaching Klimala? And if not, why not? <laughs> Henri's coaching transformed Brad's game, and I'm sure BWP could do the same for Klimala. How can Morgan be relegated to right wing back when he scores more and is a dominant threat as a 10? Can you ask Struber why 1.2 million isn't better spent next to Lukinius? Omir isn't even close to Morgan's quality and should be a sub, not a starter at 10. Oh, boy. Oh, uh, yeah, I think those are fighting words. Whoa. <laughs> you guys are a gift to Metro fandom. Thanks, Chris. Kingston, New York. What do you think? Is let, Let's start that first one with BWP coaching Klimala. I would love that. I, think I, I would love that as well. I don't know if that's part of the, the remit for, for Bradley, but I want to share – some stats that I pulled from the good folks at FB ref football reference.com. They do some great second level stats. And I, I actually tweeted this earlier this week. Uh, shots on target per 90 minutes. Uh, uh, Klamala is second on the team with 3.6. So he is putting four shots on target a game. I don't have the numbers for the league, so I'm, I can't uh, reference that necessarily. Um, shot created actions per 90 minutes. Klamala has 2.42 non-penalty goals and assists per 90, 0.69. So, you know, if, if Klamala is going to get Bradley type numbers of opportunities per game, I guarantee you those numbers are going to start to jump. Um, he hasn't. And to be frank, he's a lot more involved in the attack than Bradley was, as a target striker for the first few years of his time at Red Bulls. And so, you know, we've heard at length about how in Struber's system, the forwards are not really there for scoring. They're there for holding and they're there for creating and they're there for foot pulling defenses away. Um, I mean, so, I mean, the answer is yes, of course, Bradley should be um, helping here, but you know, they could also give uh, Henri uh, a flyer for the weekend and have him come out as well. What do you think, Joe? I think the things that you would want to work on with the striker, uh, obviously the, the confidence thing, it comes in game. So you can't really uh, build up their confidence in practice, maybe a little bit of just repetition. Uh, and the second thing is keeping the ball on frame. And he's doing those things. A little unlucky in the Minnesota game not to have uh, a goal or two. And I think that, you know, that that starts to add up a little bit and not having uh, someone else there that can really push him uh, the way that Fletcher uh, is pushing him now uh, probably has something to do with that too. And a big part of it has to do with the way that when they play the, the single striker up front, he shies away from the center of the field. He wants to bring the ball wide. Right. And, and that is going to make it difficult for him to score goals, to be there in front of the net and score goals. I don't think that, 
those are necessarily things that Bradley would help with. Um, putting the ball past the keeper, a- absolutely. Uh, but but the rest of that, this is a very different role than what Brad had filled, like you had said. Uh, and and um, Chris's point about Omir? I mean, Omir is a very good player. Yes, I think Morgan is probably a better player. Uh, I, I think that Morgan's numbers aren't being eaten up by Omir's inclusion in the team. I think that uh, Struber wants to do sort of keep him as a flexible uh, player in the midfield and kind of move him around where he's needed. And uh, at times that place had been uh, a, a sort of a wing back role. I don't think that that, um, that was uh, why we weren't getting more production out of Morgan though. I think there was just a couple of games where, you know, things weren't really going that well for him. He's still kind of settling into the system. And this is a very demanding role uh, that the Red Bulls have, have kind of put on his shoulders. And Omir has been really good lately. Yeah, he's been I think good. that he's, he's been, been he's been doing a really nice job of creating opportunities. He's maybe not a great finisher, uh, but he he does a lot of things right for this team. Yeah, agreed 100%. Um and I don't think Morgan is a ten. Uh, yeah, that's he, fair. He's not. He's a, he's he's a, a winger. He's an attacking winger. winger. Yeah, and I mean, do you put Casters at the ten? I don't know if that's right either. Do you put Caden Clark at the ten when he's healthy? And we haven't mentioned it, but Struber said that he will. He's he's close to returning, so maybe we'll see him by Portland. Okay, here. Thank you so much, Chris, as always for writing. Here's Eric Vieira who writes: After listening to your podcast, I like the idea of splitting the league into divisions geographically, so you play your rivals more. It's no secret that rivalries have a better attendance and atmosphere. Um, Eric actually. Put together a, a graphical map of his idea. He grouped five teams per division. This is in a 30 team league, which allows us to play every team in your division three times, all teams within your conference once, and you'd play two out of the three groups outside your conference. Two positional games home and away against a team from the only group not played against based off of last year's standing. A very uh, NFL kind of uh, arrangement for scheduling. My only issue with the schedule, I couldn't keep the Rocky Mountain teams in the same group with that Minnesota problematic. Thank you for your time, Eric Vieira. So Eric uh, has a, I'm going to call it, an Atlantic conference with the Revs, Red Bulls, uh, Blue Team, um, Philly, and D.C. You can call that the the uh, Acela conference. He has a, a northern conference of uh, Toronto, Montreal, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Chicago. He has a Southeast Conference, which, again, for longtime fans of the league is, you know, it's stunning that this exists now in the league with Nashville, Atlanta, uh, Charlotte, Orlando, and Miami. That's the Eastern Conference. Then his Western Conference with the Northwest Conference of the three Cascadia teams, Colorado and the Loons, a Pacific Conference with uh, the Quakes, two L.A. teams, Las Vegas as the 30th team, and RSL. And then the remaining teams, I guess you call that a central conference, Kansas City, St. Louis, and the three Texas teams. The, the point was the idea of making rivalry games mean anything, and we talked about it, or perhaps I talked about it on last week's show. You know, we only see City twice now. We see D.C. United twice, the same number of games that we play against Chicago or Atlanta or Miami or Cincinnati. And so... 
for my money, while it may be purer from a pure football standpoint. And of course, we know we can't have a um, a perfect league because there are just too many teams that we've been pl- we play fifty four games. I mean, it would go on forever. Um, Joe, what, what do you think about Eric's idea for a thirty team MLS? I think I, I guess I could see uh, uh, the merit of this um, on the surface, and I think that it's a sound idea to uh, play your rivals more often. But I don't think that necessarily helps a rivalry. I, I think uh, you know early days of the Hudson River Derby. If you were to see uh, the Red Bulls and City, they play three times in the league and the Open Cup, and it just it ended up feeling like we were doing it too much. Uh, I think in general there were diminishing returns even from fan energy uh, towards the rivalry at that point. The it's still kind of a rivalry. It's not. I don't think it's quite like you know DC, but it certainly has bloomed. Um, and I don't think uh, uh, doing that with your rivals is necessarily going to help put butts in the seats. I think that that, uh, I think that there is, like I said, merit to, but I don't think it necessarily um, would play out uh, quite like you would hope. You you look at teams in, in England, like Liverpool and Manchester United, who have a big rivalry. They only play twice a year, maybe three times because of a cup. Uh, Or or five times if you're Man City this year. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, I don't think that necessarily diminishes the, uh, the rivalry or or um, uh, hurts the gate in those places, but what would, you know? Um, uh, I, I, I like the idea. I like the structure of it. I just don't think that it would necessarily help with the tenants. When you go to 30 teams, I think it's, it's really okay to go to vi- divisional play. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because, uh, again... If you're, and this is one of the reasons why, right? The NFL has four team divisions. If it's if it's week nine and you're in fifteenth place in your conference, it's hard. It in theory, it's hard to to generate a ton of interest, right? Yeah. Um, I, I like the idea of a seaboard conference for the five teams around us. I, I definitely support um, more more games against these teams. It's great for fans. It's great for fan travel. There should be a ban on midday matches between these teams. I'm calling it right now. Any midday travel should be, you know, a, a much larger distance. Midday's and Sundays. What? Or Sunday and, nights. And right. Sundays, yeah. Sunday nights. Um, I like the idea for this new southeastern part of the league to to really get into it. Um so you know, I'm I'm here for it. I like Eric's idea. I I do. Uh, the other thing I'm looking at this map that that northwest one. That's a real stretch. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> but well, where do you, I mean, you got to get Colorado and RSL together. That's a huge rivalry. Well, I feel Eric's pain because the vast part of the, you know between the the Pacific Coast and Minnesota, there's a whole lot of buffalo and uh, land and um, you know I would imagine. Uh, you know, assault style weaponry, but there's not necessarily, I'm in trouble now. Forget I've lost half the listeners, but there's not necessarily a, uh, a, a metropolis to put a team. Um, I agree that, that separating both uh, Colorado and RSL is not great here, but maybe, maybe in that world, it makes those teams, maybe you, you 
keep those rivalries alive somehow. But it's, again, for, for an OG fan like me, the fact that we're going to be at 30 teams next year or two years' time is absolutely bonkers and, um, and exciting. Now Seattle has to go out and win. And let me tell you something. If Seattle is actually going to win CCL, you know – you know as much as there'll be people jumping up and down, and I guess all MLS fans outside of Portland will be overjoyed, and maybe Vancouver as well, that Seattle's done this. And you know there are going to be fans saying, great, now do it now do it six times, now do it ten times in a row, now do it 12 times in a row to attempt to somehow even the scales between MLS and Liga Mekis. And if, if Seattle is able to get by and be the first MLS team to play in the Club World Cup, um, it's a tremendous, tremendous achievement that shouldn't be uh, short-changed. Short what do you think? Oh, you I, don't think it's going to happen? I, I 100 percent agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. No. I'm just I'm very pessimistic. But you're optimistic about the Red Bulls this Sunday, this Saturday night. Sort of. I said it was a one nothing game in either direction. I'm not really sure, right. but I, I, it's enough that they're on the road. They'll do it because they're on the road. Uh, they're interestingly on... enough, yes, the. 2016 USL champions also struggled at home to start their season uh, way back when they did just fine. All right. We've come to an end of another terrific episode of seeing red our 490th. I'd like to thank our guest Ruben Tish of hot time in old town. I'd like to thank our stat man, Zach Feldman. I'd like to thank Joe Goldstein and I'd like to thank you for listening. We will be back as we are every week. And also consider, if you're on Twitter, Tuesdays at noon, we go live with a 45-minute call-in show. Join us there. Joe calls it a one nothing win against the Chicago Fire, and I call it a scoreless draw, but really a one nothing win for the New York Red Bulls. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Get us anywhere you get your podcasts and always at seeingredny.com. Thank you.